Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. I'm Callie Crossley, and this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. And now for the part of the show we call Lanya, that's Creole for something extra. Toni Morrison, the first African-American woman to win the Nobel Prize in Literature, was the author of 11 novels. Her first was The Bluest Eye, published in 1970. Morrison died at the age of 88 in 2019. Her works, which deeply describe and embody the Black experience, have always been met with critical and commercial success. But they've taken on a renewed significance during our country's current look at systemic racism and police brutality. The legacy of Toni Morrison is celebrated by the Huntington Theater Company's production of The Bluest Eye, which brings her classic debut novel to life. in the black cultural environment of a small Ohio community, The Bluest Eye is the story of Pakola Breedlove, a young black girl who believes blue eyes would make her beautiful. Joining me now, award-winning playwright Lydia Diamond, a prolific playwright whose own works have been staged in theaters around the country, including here in Boston, where she was both a Radcliffe Institute and Du Bois Fellow at Harvard and a professor at Boston University. Her play, Stick Fly, enjoyed a Broadway run after debuting here. She is currently on the faculty of the University of Illinois at Chicago, and Lydia Diamond joins me now. Welcome back, Lydia. Oh, thank you very much. Hello, thanks for having me. Also joining me, Awoye Tempo, director of The Bluest Eye. Tempo's directing repertoire includes the plays Indebelli Funeral at the Edinburgh Festival Fringe and Carnival at the National Black Theater, both produced in New York City. She will next direct a reading series of classic plays by Black playwrights. Hello, Awoye. Hi there. I'm so delighted to have both of you to have this conversation. I have to start with a question that I'm sure many people will want to know. Lydia, what inspired you to adapt the novel? I was approached to adapt it by a theater company, Steppenwolf in Chicago, to adapt it for their Theater for Young Audiences program. It was supposed to just happen for this one, uh, in this one venue at this one time. And it was so successful and um, so appreciated that Toni Morrison gave it her blessing to sort of be in the world. Because she was not one that liked her works adapted, let's be clear. Oh yeah, no, no, this this was maybe the second one. And um, I, I got the phone call actually on Christmas morning. Mm. Um, we, we'd had the show at the Stubborn Wolf. She'd given it permission to go to New York to the Duke Theater. It had been successful, well, everywhere. And I, I my agent called me on Christmas morning and said, uh, she, she says that uh, that we can let it be. So that was great. Right. It, no, it definitely was. So you have a personal connection to the novel or what? Explain that, how, how you resonate, first resonated with it and, and, and why it continued to interest you. 
My relationship with the novel evolved over time. Um, I read it probably when I was a little too young and I, I shut down on it just a little bit. And I mean, really too young. Um, then I read it again in high school and I connected to it, but not in the visceral way that I did later when I, I had a baby. Um, I had been approached to do it actually when I was pregnant and I wrote it through my pregnancy and, and um, was still working on it and workshopping it when the baby was a baby baby. And so you can only imagine that the story at, you know, at the center of the story being the question of why, why does this baby exist? And will it live? And and having my own little baby boy that I was looking down at while I was writing it. Awoye, mm. what interested you in working with Lydia to bring the novel to the stage? Well, I mean, it had, I think, three brilliant and amazing components. One, the novel itself. Two, adaptation of anything by Toni Morrison. And three, a work by Lydia, whose work I've been following and admiring for so many years. So it was <laughs> it was very easy to say yes to because you just knew that the, the, the roots of the thing felt really strong, really profound, really, really, really beautiful. So, well, yeah, this is, you know, tough uh, because so much of what makes the novel rich, and I'll get back to Lydia in a moment, and how she adapted it is just all the words. And yet, you know, part of your job as a director is to have some action to go with the words. So did that give you a, a moment of, of pause? Do you know what? It, it might have, if not for the incredible work that Lydia did. And, you know, we always say, oh, my gosh, to even have the thought to adapt a Toni Morrison novel into a play. It's such an epic task. But I think the thing that Lydia did so beautifully that actually made our job really quite simple in a way is she she dramatized the text in such an extraordinary way. And as you say, she found a way to make it kind of endlessly active, endlessly moving. And it kind of really takes you on a bit of a ride, which is not an easy task. So our task was really to take the brilliant work that Lydia had already laid down for us and just to bring that to life. But it felt very active and very dynamic and very rich. And the script itself has sculpted out moments for the characters that are very, very clear and that really give everybody a very full arc. So we just kind of followed the, the playbook that had been laid out for us. And it was, it was kind of a treat in every moment. Hmm. Now, Lydia, yeah. <laughs> Boy, I mean, just the thought, just the thought of trying to adapt Toni Morrison is to talk about daunting. But you dived right in to do it, and um, and as you say, your your resonance with the material has evolved over time. I will tell you, I sat there at the end of it, my friend and I, who who joined me so we could watch the show, and we were busily trying to figure out. Now, did Tony write that part or was that Lydia? I mean, it was running, uh, we really were trying to figure it because we know the novel. So that's a kudo to you. Um, I've read that you said you kind of wanted to, unlike you would normally in a play that you write, you kind of wanted to disappear into this one. Uh, uh, talk about that. Oh, thank you. Well, first of all, thank you to all of the beautiful things that Hawaii said. I was sitting here like grinning from ear to ear, which is, you know, so thank you. Um, I will say it was daunting. It was. It felt like an audacious move to 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 think that I might be able to do such a thing. And I I did very much want to disappear into the work. 
I think that I'm glad that the two of you were trying to figure out where Toni Morrison started and where I ended. It's great that you don't know. It's funny because with adaptations, even when they're not the kind of adaptations like this in which I wanted the prose to be center stage, there's a there's a little bit of thanklessness or something. There's a little bit of, oh, I wish they could see what I did. And with this, I never felt that because I thought my job was to serve Toni Morrison's voice. And um, there were some places, Piccola didn't have quite the voice that she had in the play, in the book. And there were some monologues that I wrote for her that I generated. And um, uh, so I guess the answer is that we don't know. I don't even know anymore. It's been a long time. But also there, there's a thing that happens when you're making art that becomes kind of spiritual. So after a point, I, I couldn't just kind of be afraid of it. So I had to give myself over to it and let it come out of me rather organically. Hmm. Toni Morrison had often said of this book, and again, this was her first novel, so she had a particular feeling about it, as, as one might, that she was really speaking to Black girlhood, that she at that point had not seen that in a lot of material, and she wanted to uh, tell a story through the eyes of young Black girls. But as many may know, she was very clear about portraying a Black experience. And I want people to get a sense of how important that was to her. Here's a clip from the 2019 documentary, Toni Morrison, The Pieces I Am. I didn't want to speak for Black people. I wanted to speak to and to be among. It's us. So the first thing I had to do was to eliminate the white gaze. Jimmy Baldwin used to talk about that. The little white man that sits on your shoulder <laughs> and checks out everything you do and say. So to knock him off. And, you know, you're free. Now I own the world. I mean, I can write about anything to anyone, for anyone. I don't have to have this white judgmental eye checking me, editing me, approving of me. Now, what's so poignant about that particular piece is that her protagonist in The Bluest Eye, Pacola, is dying, desperate for the approval of, of white people. She's dying to look like what she believes is the standard of beauty, actually what what is pushed as the standard of beauty, and that's blue eyes. And that is what eventually just becomes a tragic part of her life. But your addressing how she was as both a young girl with this sort of passion to see herself in a different way, but also existing in this very close-knit Black community is what makes the story and the adaptation of the novel very powerful. And so first, let's take a listen to a clip from the production itself, because the essence of what uh, Piccola was experiencing was really about the traumatic effect of racism. And here's a clip from the production of the Huntington Theater's Bluest Eye. We were led into a massive, sparkling white kitchen. Odors of meat, vegetables, and something freshly baked filled the air. You all stand stock still right there and don't mess up nothing till I get back. We hadn't had time to admire the fairy book kitchen properly when another door opened. And a little white girl walked in. <laughs> if her hair wasn't long and straight and blonde, and her eyes blue instead of green, I, I might have mistaken her for Shirley Temple. There's Polly. And there was my urge to squash her. <laughs> I the same ritual I performed on my white dog. How could she 
called Mrs. Breedlove Pop. Mrs. Breedlove, who was Mrs. Breedlove, even took a cola. She went downstairs to get the water. So that was a scene from the play, as I said, uh, the Huntington Theater's production of The Bluest Eye, adapted by Lydia Diamond and directed by Awoye Tempo, who are with me in this conversation. And Mrs. Breedlove works for a white family, and Polly, in that piece, is the daughter, who only knows her as a maid. And there was Piccola and her friends, Claudia, who was narrating that piece, talking about the difference in the environment and just being shocked that Mrs. Breedlove is not Mrs. Breedlove when she's working in that home. The challenge, it seems to me, both in reading the novel and in portraying it on stage, is to balance the tragedy with the light. And we heard a little bit of that with the humor in that scene from Claudia's narration. How did both of you approach that? Lydia? Wow, that's a good question. And I I, I think a really relevant one right now when we're looking at what theater is and um, how Black people have been represented on stage um, there's sometimes been too much this this uh, comfort zone around let's watch black people be tortured by white people um, because you know then we can take a remove and we can say see that doesn't happen anymore and I'm happy because I think that the young people in theater are really pushing back against that right now in a good way. At the same time, I think this play, this book, which is so relevant and important, is saying these things happen. These things have happened culturally historically and they're tragic and in the middle of it we live and we laugh and we love and we survive and we succeed and so I think that there's a lens in which it could be be viewed as a you know a story of tragedy and I think really what it is is a stark look at a reality that has taken sort of too long to reverse and the effects that it's had on this town and these little girls and this particular little girl and this this tragedy that surrounds her. But I don't think it's a good day at the theater if we don't laugh. Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) No one comes to the theater to be tortured, Mm -hmm. so. Awoye, so again, the challenge for you is to, you know, bring all the audience in. And I wonder if that's why you elected to have a theater in the round in presenting the play. Yeah, it's, um, it was kind of a, kind of, Two, twofold because we were originally supposed to do this production in March of 2020. Um, and, and we were actually meant to be in an entirely different theater. So when the opportunity came back around to share this piece with the audience, you know, we, myself and the incredible design team, were really thinking about what does it mean for us to gather now? And we have this incredible story that we'd like to share. And it felt really organic to say, let's, let's come together and sit in a circle and listen to this story together. The story that is not just about um, one person, the story that is about um, the community of people represented in the novel and the play, but also, you know, our communities at large. And so sitting in a circle to be able to share in these stories and these testimonies of all of these incredible characters felt really kind of right and organic to what we wanted to do. Mm. I'm Callie Crossley, and you're listening to Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm joined by playwright Lydia Diamond and director Awoyo Tempo. We're talking about their work on the Huntington Theater stage adaptation of Toni Morrison's The Bluest Eye. Here's a question for the both of you. What is the artistic Black woman thread from Toni Morrison to Lydia Diamond to Awoye Tempo? I'll start with you, Lydia. Oh, my goodness. That's a, that's, that is a question. <laughs> that is a question. It wants me to be a little more poetic than I think I can be today. 
Um, if there is a threat, I guess I would say uh, that I, I think it is my responsibility or responsibility to sort of pick up uh, where the people who've made a way for us before us have sort of uh, made a way and given us a baton. And I think that if I can, you know, reach deep and tell stories uh, that are rich and full and honest and true and full of passion and humor, um, I, I will then have, you know, been able to you know, sort of have a baton that, that I can pass on. I, I, I guess that's an answer. I suppose. Awoye, I'm passing this baton onto you. Take, take it home, Awoye, take it home. <laughs> As always, I will I will take on any baton that you pass to me, Lydia. Um, and no, I think that's so beautifully put. And I, I think you're, you're so right in talking about a, a thread because, you know, I think we're, we're all part of a very, very long continuum of storytellers, you know, um, and that, that continuum goes back to our ancestors and their ancestors. It goes back to the origins of our existence as human beings on, on the planet. You know, there's so many incredible, beautiful, legendary, visionary writers and storytellers who have come before us. And it's really, I think that's the really beautiful thing um, about the novel too, is that Toni Morrison herself is pulling from other kind of Black storytelling traditions and voices and Lydia beautifully took that and crafted it in such a gorgeous way. And then we all got to take that baton um, and see how do we want to tell that story as well. But we're, we're standing, as Lydia says, on really, really incredible shoulders and really excited to just share the piece with as many people as possible. Now, speaking of sharing the piece with as many people as possible, as you both know, um, this novel specifically, but many other Toni Morrison's novels have been banned. One year, I think The Bluest Eye was the most banned book in the country. And now there is a nasty trend that banned book movement is even more intense, if you will. And it's frankly directed at authors who are of color, those who are LGBTQ. So, for a number of people, a number of students who read the book in high school, as I did, uh, because it was a part of great discussion of good writing and literature, will not now have access to it in many places. What's the damage? I mean, first of all, how do you react to this this novel uh, being banned? And what's the damage of losing the story and the voice of Toni Morrison in these places where people are learning and growing and, and thinking about different ideas? Lydia? Oh, as you were talking, I was trying to look through my inbox because I've gotten several different messages from several different people in several different towns about the banning of this book. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm working with the Dramatists Guild to, you know, sort of figure out ways that we can, as theater artists, sort of help address that and advocate. It's tragic. It's just tragic. It's just obscene. Um, I, I wish there were, there were something more than I could say than I can't, I am appalled at the erasing of um, our stories. How do we make for people with a sense of humanity? And it, 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 I don't, I'm speechless. It's just horrible. Awoye? Yeah, and I, I just, I think the thing that is so appalling as, as Lydia says, but not surprising maybe, is that this is part of such a larger kind of strategic initiative to silence Black voices, to silence history, to silence the truth. 
And um, it's it's actually I find it I find it terrifying because it's not just this book, it's other books, it's other points of view in history. Um, and it's a, it's a it's a I mean, I, I feel like we, we are at a crossroads here. We have a, a major problem. And I think that everybody's trying to figure out how do we proceed? How do we make sure that these works are read? How do we make sure that people understand, you know, the soil that we're walking on? Um, but it's um, it's it's going to take a kind of Herculean effort to um, figure out how to um, solve this larger problem that this that this book banning is is a part of. Well, interestingly enough, because this play is adapted and and is in production and perhaps moving around the country, people in places where the book may be banned actually have an opportunity to see the story. So that's an interesting twist because of the adaptation that uh, both of you have created. Um, What do you hope that uh, your audience will take away as they leave the performance of The Bluest Eye? Well, first of all, it's, I feel like it's such a treat to kind of um, swim and dance in the world of Toni Morrison, you know, so um, I hope that people um, just enjoy that experience because it's so in ways that it's painful. It is also joyful. It's honest and it's true. So I hope people just leave with an appreciation of kind of the, the tremendous work that she's done. And then also, you know, we talked a lot about, you know, kind of creating this storytelling event as a a ritual that will hopefully evoke um, some transformation. Um, And hopefully that transformation will be either in knowing, in healing, in understanding where we are and thinking about where we're going in new ways. So um, I think there's a lot for people to take away from it, but the word transformation is, is really coming to mind. Lydia? My inbox is exploding. I can't even tell you how many people have seen your beautiful production away. And, and I, it's just, I, I'm excited. I'm very, very excited. What I want people to take away from whenever I write a play, what I want people to take away from it is um, to have enjoyed it, to have really felt like it was worth getting the babysitter, paying the tickets. Now we putting on a mask and going to a place. I want them to wake up in the morning and talk to each other about it, still be thinking about it on the car ride over. It's great sometimes if people have different opinions at the breakfast table about the play. That's all I ever want. I um, I don't want to control the, uh, you know, what I expect people to take away from it. I just hope that they have enjoyed it. And I, you know, this play does play all over the country. So people have. So I, I, I suspect they will continue to. And I know that Awoy has done a beautiful job. Well, I will say you're both well-served by the excellent cast. My goodness, they are excellent. Excellent. I, I can't say that enough. So uh, it, it all comes to life with uh, both of your great work and um, their great acting. I thank you both for joining me today. Thank you so much. Thank you. Lydia Diamond is an award-winning playwright who adapted Toni Morrison's The Bluest Eye for the stage. She was currently on the faculty at the University of Illinois at Chicago. Awoye Tempo is the director of the Huntington Theatre Company's The Bluest Eye. She will next direct a reading series of classic plays by Black playwrights. The stage adaptation of Toni Morrison's The Bluest Eye at the Huntington Theatre Company will run through March 26th. That's it for this week's edition of Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. Listen to us online at GBH News or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow us on Twitter and Facebook to stay up to date with our programming. Under the Radar with Callie Crossley is a production of GBH, 
produced by Hannah Ubley and engineered by Dave Goodman. Vanessa Handy is our intern. Our theme music is Fish and Chips by We Are Two Saxies, Grace Kelly and Leo P. Listen again on Thursday and see you here at 6 p.m. next Sunday for a new episode. I'm Callie Crossley. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.